So good morning. Uh, in case you're visiting, I'm Miguel Lopez. I'm the associate pastor here, and I get the privilege and responsibility to preach about once a month. Um, and if you're ever just curious what life is like behind the scenes uh, when you're a pastor. So uh, several weeks ago, uh, I was home uh, with my wife, Connie, and uh, I hear her laughing. And uh, I asked, what are you laughing about? And so we've been doing this series on Ephesians, on the book of Ephesians. She was reading ahead of time. And she had gotten to chapter 5, and she says, well, chapter 5 is on sexual immorality, coarse jesting, and drunkenness. And she says, I wonder which one of y'all is going to preach, you or Marcus. And she goes, watch Marcus give that one to you. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> well, he did. <laughs> so, Marcus, thank you. Thank you so very much. <laughs> uh, yeah, so last week, uh, his, his sermon was called Walk This Way, and it kind of bleeds into my message today. So I'm calling my message Walk This Way Too. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> and so our three points today are going to be drafting, tripping, and walking. All right, so that's where we're going. Uh, we're talking about Walk This Way Too, and our points are going to be drafting, tripping, and walking. So how about we pray together? And then let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, uh, I thank you for this morning. And I thank you that always, Lord, you're always faithful. Lord, I thank you uh, that uh, you allow us to be able to come and and to worship you together. Lord, uh, I pray that you would help us um, really be here today. God, I ask you to just clear our minds um, of any burdens and that we really could just fall uh, before you. And um, and just listen, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to every heart in this room. And I pray, dear Lord, you would change us and make us more like you. And we just thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. OK, so our first point is drafting. And in case you're unfamiliar uh, with that phrase, um, drafting is a is a principle of uh, of racing. And what I mean by that is aerodynamically. Uh, the idea is if you can position yourself behind somebody, whether you're biking or uh, not that any of us would race cars, but uh, but even even running uh, and you position yourself behind somebody and they take the, the bulk of the wind resistance and which allows it to become easier for the person following. Uh, the idea is you stay behind the lead guy and in fact, you imitate whatever the leader does. So uh, we're going to begin with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. And the word is, therefore. Now, the verse is longer. Uh, in fact, a few weeks ago when I preached uh, in chapter 2, my, my text started the same way. So I thought, why not? Whenever you see the word, therefore, it points you to whatever happened a little while ago. So you need to figure out what the therefore is there for. So let's go back to a little bit of what Marcus covered last week. So we're at the end of chapter 4 in Ephesians. And just beginning at verse 30, and it says this, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So, There's this idea, and it says in verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know if you realize you could do that, that if God wouldn't tell us not to unless there was a way you could actually grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And so we want to avoid that. And then he tells us in verse 31, 
um, how to avoid that. He says, put away. And then he lists uh, a list of sins. And so I'm just going to read those three. Um, it's bitterness and wrath, anger, clamor, slander. So generally, the idea is things that we would do to attack one another. So what God is telling us is when we do those things to one another, uh, it grieves. It grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And he asks us to put those things away. And then he gives you a picture of the opposite of what he'd like us to do. And in verse 32, he gives three ideas. He says, be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving. So I want you to remember those. Be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving, because it leads us to chapter 5. So now here we are in 5 verse 31. Therefore, with what we just talked about in mind, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So here's this idea. Be imitators of God. That's why we're talking about drafting. Be imitators of God. And the three aspects, the three characteristics of God that were just mentioned at the end of chapter 4 were be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving. And God has so many other attributes. But for this point here, when, as the Apostle Paul was writing, and he said, be imitators of God, he wanted us to focus on these three thoughts. Be kind, be tenderhearted, be forgiving. So let's take those one at a time. First of all, kindness, uh, it comes from a word, krestos, which means gentle or pleasant. As a matter of fact, that word krestos, uh, in their day when this was written, was a common name for slaves. This idea, be kind. Be kind to Miguel. Turn off your phone. Uh, let's see. All right. In used, who said that? In used in reference to God, um, the same word, the same idea. Uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Do you see that? It's describing God and he's talking to us about being right, imitating him. And this idea here that God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. It's a simple idea. Be kind to those that don't deserve it. Right. It's easy to be kind to the people you like, isn't it? OK, but God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And if we're going to imitate God, we need to be kind to those who are undeserving. Second thought was tenderhearted. Uh, he wants us to be tenderhearted, and that can be defined as merciful or compassionate. When I think of a picture of God's tenderheartedness, I think of what Jesus said when he looked upon the city of Jerusalem, knowing that they were going to crucify him. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. He said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. It's that picture of tenderheartedness. Jesus was tenderhearted to those who were going to reject him and nail him to that cross. And God calls us to imitate him. So we have kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Forgiving means to show favor, to give freely. Uh, that same word used in reference to God is found in Luke chapter 7, verse 21. 
in, a, in an odd way, in fact. It says this, In that hour he healed many people, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. This idea of forgiving, it's the same idea as when Jesus bestowed sight. It's the same thing. To give something to someone, to fill that need when that person has is powerless. Uh, Jesus freely gave something only he could give. And he asked the same thing of us, y'all. When he asked us to forgive one another and to forgive other people, what he's saying is to give something, right, that they don't deserve. To give something that's only in your power to give. No one else can make you forgive them. Okay? So God wants us to imitate him. And so there's kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. I mean, that's the list that he wants us to focus on. We go on and it talks more about, about forgiving, uh, about forgiving and, and imitating God. It says in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm going to read that again because I want you to think about this idea, okay? It's still talking about imitating Christ. But here's the idea in verse 2. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, okay? This walk in love. How do we do it? How do we walk in love? As Christ loved us. And if you stop and think about how Christ loved you, right? he died for you. He was sacrificed for you. He suffered on your behalf and mine as well. And he wants us to walk like that, to walk in love. The other thought in verse 2, it mentions this fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Um, one of the sacrifices that Israel would offer up to God was this incense. And the priest would offer it you know, in the temple or before then in, in the tabernacle, before the temple existed. And this incense was an, a sacrifice that was offered up to God that was a sweet-smelling thing as, as the fumes went up uh, heavenward. And so um, I guess another way to put it is this, is when you're not imitating Christ, you stink, okay? So, so, right? so Christ wants us to imitate him, and there's no room for stinky Christians, okay? Um, so let's keep this idea of imitating, okay, imitating Christ, being like Christ. So when I think about that, I think about nature and I think God has gifted, uh, different, um, creatures that he's created to be able to imitate their surroundings. So I wanted us to look at a few pictures. This first one here, uh, I want you to see, do you, can you see the owl? Can you see the owl in that picture? Right. Uh, let's go to the next picture. And you can see it's framed there. Okay. Uh, and this next one, can you find the ptarmigan? Uh, that's an Arctic bird for kids. Um, do you see it? It took me a while to find this one. Okay. Next picture. And you see it right there. Um, next one is, can you, can you find the toad? Do you see the toad in this picture? Okay. Cause next picture, surprise, there's three of them. Okay. Isn't that amazing? And the next picture, I want you to see if you can find a football player from Kansas. Okay. Do you see a football player? Okay. Let me help you find a football player. Next picture. Surprise. <laughs> because as we know, there are no football players in Kansas. <laughs> okay. God wants us to imitate him, y'all. God wants us to imitate him. And so we think about drafting. Okay. Our second point is this, y'all. Our second point is tripping. 
Here's the deal. What happens when we attempt to imitate God, but we trip or fall? Well, there are lots of traps out there waiting to pull us down. And this is going to be the hardest section of our message today. So please pay attention, not just with your ears, but with your hearts and let God speak to you, y'all. We're going to begin with the problem. Okay, the problem is temptation and sin. And so here we are, here we are in Ephesians 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. I'm going to read it again. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, speaking to believers, as is proper among saints, right? Believers. I believe that stumbling in the area of your sexuality uh, is just one of the, the toughest things to go through. Um, it, it, it makes believers feel so defeated. And you know, as well as I do, there I could begin to list Right. There's many, many ways. Right. We can trip and fall in this area. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, I know, you know, the area that uh, is the is gives you the most struggle and the most trouble. Um, But understand, y'all, godly people can do ungodly things, can't we? Right. Godly people can do ungodly things. Uh, It begins with our thoughts. Right. Things we see, things we hear. Uh, it affects our thoughts and our desires. And then eventually it leads to actions. And so it comes in many forms. And right now I just want to repeat uh, what God has said. He said, sexual immorality and all impurity, don't even let it be named among you. Now, we're going to see this next slide, um, uh, verse 3. And we're going to we're going to see actually something else is underlined here. Sexual immorality, all all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. It's in that same list. Okay, that's exact same verse. But I just want to point out that that same word is in there. Don't even let covetousness be named among you. Um, God's word tells us the word covetousness, right? Wanting things you don't have. Uh, He calls it idolatry, idolatry. He says it in Colossians chapter three. Beginning of verse five, he says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And there you go. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. It's in that same list. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Guys, we live in an affluent country and we live in an affluent parish in the state. And so, uh, you know, here we are in St. Tammany. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that we desire to acquire. And uh, the problem is desiring those things, right? Because all you got to do is look down at your neighbor or someone else. Someone else has something you want. And God says uh, that can drive us from our first love. Our first love needs to be for Almighty God. The list of temptations and sin goes on. In verse 4, he says this, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. Now, I'm just curious. Has anyone here uh, figured out how to control your tongue? I'm just curious if anybody's figured that out because I'm still working on that. Um, At the end of Ephesians 4, I read you that list earlier. It talked about bitterness, wrath, and slander. And the idea is things that come out of our mouth that hurt one another. Okay. Um, But in general, just controlling the tongue. Um, Is it difficult? Yeah. In fact, we could call it impossible, right? Uh, 
But you know, um, God calls believers to holiness. God calls believers to holiness. He wants us to live lives that honor him. Okay, so we've labeled some of the major areas of temptation and sin. And so now I want to talk about some of the consequences here. So it picks up in verse five. It says this, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Is that scary to anybody in here? Okay. Um, It raises the question, is the person that God is describing in these verses, uh, is that person a believer at all? Well, let's talk about that for a bit, y'all. Let's look at something Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He said this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, I've heard this described as the scariest verse in the Bible. Okay. And uh, I would agree. Um, Let me put a question in your mind. Do you think it's possible for someone who does not know Christ to imitate Christianity, to show up in church, to attend church, right, and to be part of the gang and to attend all kind of different meetings and activities we do, but really not know Christ? Do you think that's possible? Because um, just like you can imitate Christ, The fact is, uh, you can imitate Christianity, but really not know him. The question is, is the spirit of God living in you or not? Um, When I when I meet with with folks and this is young people, adults, uh, most of y'all know that I, I chaplain for hospice. So I'm meeting people right at the end of their lives. And we have these conversations and I'll ask people. You know, have you trusted Christ? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Do you know for sure that the Holy Spirit of God lives within you? And sometimes I'll hear answers like this. I'll hear people say, uh, yeah, I prayed the prayer a long time ago. You know, I joined the church. Is that what you mean when I joined the church? Like, that's not what I asked you. Okay. So I want to make sure. I want to make sure. And here's the thing, y'all. I cannot see your heart, but God can. And you and God can have that conversation where you can make sure, make sure that you're not just showing up in church and being part of the gang and part of the right imitating what you see. You want to know for sure that you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for your sins and that he rose again from the dead. That's why he's called the savior, that you are leaning on him and trusting in him alone to save you and give you eternal life. And he promises Uh, At that point that he will come to live within you and he will never leave you nor forsake you. See, the question Jesus asked in that passage we just read in Matthew, you know, uh, he didn't tell him that you didn't do enough. What he said was depart from me. I never knew you. So that's the question. Do you, in fact, know the Lord Jesus Christ? 
The thought goes on. Okay, he's not done scaring us, right? Ephesians chapter 6, I'm sorry, 5 verse 6 says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the things we just listed, right? Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Okay, let me just say this right here. Uh, This is talking about non-believers. It's talking about people who don't know Christ, okay? How do we know that? Because believers... Uh, God calls us different things. Those of us who have trusted Christ, he calls us sons of God. He doesn't call us sons of disobedience, okay? Now, we can disobey, but believers are never called sons of disobedience. We're called sons of God. We're called saints. We're called brothers. We're called members of the body of Christ, blessed, forgiven. We're called sanctified or set apart. A long time ago, Christ bore God's wrath on our behalf. That's why if we've trusted Christ, we don't have to fear seeing Almighty God. It's because Christ already suffered on our behalf. When we trust Him as Savior, then we can boldly go before God. We can talk to Almighty God. Okay? And we don't have to be afraid of His judgment anymore because Christ bore our judgment on our behalf. Grace makes you free. Grace makes you thankful, or it should. Uh, and grace should produce a desire to obey. And let me say, right, our point right now, we're talking about tripping and falling, right? Um, all of us in here, y'all, we all know we trip and fall, okay? But point is this, y'all, is with, with Christ, right, we can go on, okay? So the first thing is, though, are you sure? Are you sure Christ lives within you, okay? And one of the indicators is this, is the longer you know Christ, you'll find that you begin to love the things he loves and you'll begin to hate the things he hates, okay? And you'll find things bother you that didn't used to bother you before. You'll see things like that, all right? So we've talked about uh, uh, temptation and sin and then we talked about consequences, all right? Well, let's talk about some practical steps to overcome temptation and sin. So Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7, he says, "'Therefore, do not become partners with them.'" And the last thing he just mentioned was sons of disobedience. Okay, so he says, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. A lot of good stuff there. Okay, Um, first thing he wants us to do is to understand our identity in Christ. Understand our identity. Notice, all right, in verse 7, I tried to point this out to you, okay? He tells you, don't become partners with them. And the last thing we just read about was uh, the sons of disobedience, okay? We want to love people who don't know Jesus, who we want to embrace them and invite them to our homes and to church, okay? We want to tell them about what Christ has done. But God tells us, don't become partners with them right and then in verse 8 he tells us he reminds us of our identity that's what he's doing here verse 8 he says you were okay you were that way which what does that imply you no longer are if christ lives in you you were a child of disobedience but you are not now even when you slip and fall okay uh you we, we still we disobey here and there right but god tells us You were part of that, but now you are not. In fact, then he tells us what you are. He says in verse 8, now you are light 
You need to hang on to that. This is what God says about you, especially shortly after a fall. You need to remember this. God says, you're a believer. You're sanctified. You're saved by, you know, almighty God. You are light. And then he tells us, walk as children of light. God has changed you. Past tense. If you're a believer and Christ lives in you, okay, he has already changed you. He tells us this. We're not going to look at this verse, but uh, you can look this up later. Second Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. God says, right, if you have the spirit of God, you are not the same as you were. You are not the same, even though sometimes you might look the same when you trip and fall. Okay, but you are not the same. He calls you light and children of light. And he commands us to walk as children of light. You know why he can command us to do that, to walk as children of light? Because we have the spirit of God. So it is possible now now to do something you couldn't do before. You can actually walk as a child of light if the Holy Spirit lives in you. Okay. Then he says this in verse 11. He says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Okay. You want to be proactive, y'all? Number one, spend time with God. What I find is the more I spend time with God, the less room there is for sin. Okay. Spend time with God first. The other thing I want to encourage you to do, spend time with believers who are helping you walk with God. Okay. Because you can spend time with believers who are tripping the same way as you do. That's not going to help. Right. So spend time with believers that are helping you walk with the Lord. Um, you know, here at Trinity, Right. We're a family. We're part of the huge family of the body of Christ. Okay, but here specifically, we're family here, y'all. And so if you think of your homes, okay, we all come from some kind of dysfunction. You know, uh, the more we get to know each other. But the thing is, y'all, when you're family, the healthiest thing a family can do is when when we slip and fall is to be forgiving to one another, to listen to one another, to love one another and to help each other out. And so hopefully we uh, we are we're building a, uh, an atmosphere here at the church where where you can find someone you trust and go to them because, right, there's, you know, the little slips that just kind of come, you know, day by day. But then each one of us knows you've got an area that's more an Achilles heel where it just gets you. And it's that thing that happens to you when you think, ah, am I even a Christian? You know, it's like you start feeling like that. And that's the kind of thing, it's not going to go away on its own. And to be able to find another believer, another family member, y'all, that you trust and be able to go and uh, and just confess to them and and they would confess to you and pray for one another, you know. That's the atmosphere we want here where we can be open and, I mean, be honest with each other, right? Because when we keep that stuff in the darkness, it it grows on its own. You know, the, the power of sin is in the secret. So when you bring it to light, right, that's when we can overcome and overpower it, right? But um, tripping is inevitable. Now, I got a million stories about people who have tripped and fallen. And one of uh, my favorites is a, a friend of mine uh, from a long time ago. His name was Alan. And this is years back. He worked 
for a, a, a TV company. I can't even tell you who it was. Okay, which, which TV station? But um, they were filming a, uh, uh, a football game, and I don't remember if it was a college game or a pro game, but I do remember it was outdoors. And you've seen the guys on, on the camera. Um, I'm sorry, on the little cart. And so, you know, they're along the sidelines and then there's a long play and then they move that cart right? and the guy's got the camera. You've seen those guys. Well, that was not Alan's job. OK, Alan was on the ground uh, next to that cart and he his job was to carry this cable. And I don't know if this is still how they do it. I, I don't know how how, you know, um, ESPN and all them, how they work now. But back then, OK, there was this giant long cable and his job was to run with it. And, uh, and, and so, and make sure that this guy had slack, you know, on this cart, right? Now, the thing you need to know about Alan is, uh, he was not in very much shape for running, right? And so, what happened was, I mentioned this was outdoors. Well, it had been raining, okay? Oh, the other thing you need to know is this, is that there was another, uh, person on the crew, and this was a lady, and this woman would stand in the corner of the end zone, and it was her job to make sure that the, the cable would just, you know, come from one direction and, and go towards this cart, um, and that, uh, you know, basically keep it off the field, all right? Well, there's a long play, and sure enough, you know, there goes the cart. There's Alan trying to run behind it, and then he comes up on this huge mud puddle, and there was nowhere to go, right? So he threw the cable, and he fell in on his side, and just half of him is drenched with this mud, okay? He looks back towards the end zone and he sees the lady and she's bent over like this and she's trying to do this cable while she's laughing, you know, to get it around that corner. Okay. Well, a few minutes later, there's a play that goes the other direction. So there he goes running again. Sure enough, there's another mud puddle and he falls again. Okay. The other side is drenched. When he looked up, he saw the lady on the ground and she was beating the ground and the cable was running out into the end zone. Right. Hey, y'all, tripping and falling, it is inevitable. It's going to happen. And so, number one, it's awesome to know that we have been forgiven, right? But God calls us to holiness. And so there is a way, if he calls us to it, there is a way where we can right, spend time with him, spend time with believers, and move forward and overcome. Okay, so our third point is walking. God gives us directions on how to walk with him. So Ephesians 5, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Um, Long time ago, I heard a, a definition of integrity that's always stuck with me, and it's who are you when no one is looking? Integrity is who you are when no one is looking. And this is what it's talking about here. Uh, when he says, don't walk uh, as unwise people, what's he telling you? Be wise. Do whatever it takes to avoid that temptation. That's just a simple thing, y'all. If you, if you set up uh, methods of avoiding the temptation, then you don't have to get to a point where you're worried about the sin. Okay, You want to be distant from it. Verse 17 says this, therefore, do not be foolish. Do you hear what he's telling you? Okay. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So there's a direct contrast here. Number one, he tells you don't be foolish. So what's the opposite of that? He says, instead, understand the will of God. 
Well, how are you going to understand God's will? Well, one thing that's important is you have to understand the word of God. And we're fortunate, y'all. You don't have to learn the entire book in one sitting. Now, it's all good stuff, okay? But, right, God is patient with us. So how do we learn it? We learn it little by little, little by little. And the way that we can be not foolish, right, is to understand the will of God. Little by little, understanding the word of God. Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 18. Here we go, because Mardi Gras is coming. So here we go. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let me read that one again. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay? So, uh, passive rebellion would say, well, he mentions wine. Good thing he didn't mention beer and whiskey and, you know, marijuana, right? Okay, all right. That's called passive rebellion, y'all. Okay, God, our daddy, loves us. So let me specify for you, okay, wine, beer, alcohol, anything that's going to alter your little mind, right? Um, God wants us not to be drunk. And then he gives you the opposite, but be filled with the spirit. So the idea When someone's drunk, what happens, right? They are being controlled, right, by that substance, okay? And uh, I'm sure most of us in here probably have memories of things you regret under that kind of influence. So God, uh, he's not being a party pooper, right? He wants to protect us and people you love, right, from those kind of consequences. And he says, instead of that, instead of that, be filled with the Spirit of God. Uh, Be filled, controlled, directed by just like when the wind fills a sail. Okay, that same idea. We want to be directed by the Spirit of God. Verse 19 says this, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Okay, it's good he mentions with your heart because I've heard some of you guys sing <laughs> and you've heard me sometimes when my voice cracks. Okay, so, uh, but the idea, y'all, is uh, what's coming out of your heart? Can I give you a little simple test that you can test yourself? Um, here's the idea. Let me ask you this. How much time when you're with other believers, how much time do you spend talking about God and the things of God or whatever God has done in your life lately or whatever God has done in someone else's life lately? How much time do you spend doing that as opposed to how much time do you spend with all the other stuff? Okay. Now, understand, I'm not saying that everything out of your mouth should always, you know, be tied to God, right? Because, you know, you, you know, talk about work and there's other topics. But the question, though, y'all, what's coming out of your heart? Okay. Uh, I mean, is it hardly ever? Is it never? Is it sometimes? Okay. What's coming out of your heart? How often are you bringing up God? Because that's the idea here about singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord with one another. We're encouraging one another in Christ, right? Because we all can trip, Right. And we want to help each other walk. We want to help each other walk with God. I want to talk a little bit about Paul's paradox. Okay, the Apostle Paul's paradox. Here's something the Apostle Paul could say. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, he said this. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Wow. Could you say that to anybody? Okay. And by the way, I got news for you. If you claim to be a Christian, you are saying this. You are saying this, you know, if you claim to be a Christian, you're saying be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Here's the paradox. Here's the flip side. Here's something else Paul said. 
in the uh, book of Romans, chapter 7, he talked about his struggle. He said this, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? My goodness, this is the apostle Paul. Okay, he wrote a lot of the Bible, y'all. And here there's two conflicting ideas. One is he says to us, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. But at the same time, he says this, he says, hey, it's not easy. So here's the idea, y'all. We are called to holiness, but understand it's going to be a lifelong struggle. But we're still called to holiness. Um, let's see, I'm going to go to the next slide. So like I mentioned earlier last week, uh, Marcus preached on the idea of walk this way. And so my idea today was walk this way too. And if you're feeling like, ah, oh, the whole thing is impossible. Well, let me remind you something Jesus said on the next slide. Matthew chapter 19, verse 26. But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So let's take a minute here. I want everybody just to bow your heads, close your eyes. And just think about some of the things you've heard today and see if maybe God tells you something. And then I'm going to close this up in a little bit. Dear Lord, there's there's a lot of ideas, um, important things you said um, throughout your word. But here specifically, Lord, in chapter four, chapter five, the book of Ephesians. Lord. um, We wouldn't be here. If we didn't want to imitate you, Lord. And so I pray, God, you would help us do that, to really be imitators of the almighty God. I pray for each one of us that we could each say that when people look at us, they see something. And maybe we don't know how it happens, Lord, but, but we, that people would see that there is a, a reflection of God, that he really is changing us little by little. Lord, I pray you help us uh, in the areas where we tend to fall the most. Lord, I pray uh, that you would provide for each one of us someone that we can confide in. And uh, that as brothers and sisters of your family, God, we can encourage one another, uh, lift one another up. Lord, so we could walk together. We could live lives that honor you. Lord, we pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you're dismissed. Walk with God.